and welcome to another episode of Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. So last week, we talked a little bit about money and how the Bible frequently uses the language of worship when it talks about money. And just uh, by way of reminder, we saw in particular Matthew six twenty four: no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And what I primarily wanted to establish last time was how not to relate to our money. Uh, we're not to trust it. We're not to love it. We're not to lean upon it. Uh, the biggest test, uh, by the way, uh, to finding out whether or not we trust it is to see our reaction to what happens when it's taken away from us. What happens when an unexpected house project comes up and you have to pay a large sum of money to fix it? You know, How do you respond to that? Now, assuming that we do have this foundation, that is to say this foundation of not trusting in our finances, um, and how to deal with it in a proper manner. I do want to talk a little bit about how we can use our money, practically speaking. And so this episode uh, is really going to be more on the on the, on the side of things, you know, what we should do with our money, um, practically speaking. According to my unofficial survey conducted here in the U.S., most Americans are living on 105% of their income. You know, too often, I think we sometimes say things like, oh, I just need a little more per month and everything will be fine. And I think that in most cases, uh, we would just live on 105% of that higher income uh, and still be in trouble. It's been a little while since I've listened, but when I had a driving job down in South Carolina, I used to listen to the Dave Ramsey show and everyone kind of chuckles. Uh, when that one guy calls in who he's in over his head, swamped in bills and drowning in debt, and, you know, Dave says, well, how much do you make a year? And he says, you know, something like $892,000 per year. And all of us, you know, kind of mumble under our breath, well, if I made $892,000 a year, I wouldn't be in that kind of trouble. And that may be true, but it also may be true that you live on 105% of that income, too. See, that's not a money problem. That's a contentment problem. That's a greed problem. And that is, as we saw last time, a worship problem. And by the way, let's, uh, let's say that I come to the conclusion that I should live on 85% of my income. That doesn't mean that every time I get a raise, I should live on 85% of the new income. Why not live on 80% of the higher amount and give more money or save more money? And the reason why, and this is actually maybe a little bit of a side note here, um, the, the reason why the Christian can speak to this, this issue, some people say, you know, well, you're not, you can't speak to this kind of uh, issue. The reason that the Christian can speak to this issue is because it is a spiritual issue first. And I do recall uh, recently listening to a radio station where the host was talking about finances, and he was kind of lamenting the fact that, you know, pastors were giving financial advice because they weren't specialized in that field. And he said something along the lines of, you know, pastors already control people through uh, their fear of their eternal destiny. Now they want to control people's money, too. Now, we do want to affirm that there are pastors who fleece the sheep for their own gain. We reject that. But we also recognize something that the unbelieving financial manager cannot see, and that is that money management is a spiritual issue. And the entire episode last time was uh, spent on developing that thought. So with that being said, as a pastor, 
Um, you know, I don't want to tell you where to invest, how to invest, you know, how much to save, those kinds of things. I think that we are to take a look at the Bible and together submit to its authority and teach biblical principles like saving and investing and minimal debt and not co-signing and all those kinds of things. And so I do just want to touch on a few of those things. What does the Bible have to say about how I should handle my money? We're not going to be exhaustive in this, but I just want to look at a few uh, areas together. First off, uh, I'd like to look at the idea of saving. Uh, Generally speaking, we ought to be saving our money. I'll talk about investing in a moment, but this is a little bit different. Saving my money presupposes that I'm not spending more than I make, and that I'm not even spending exactly what I make. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. We ought to gather little by little. We ought to save. If you missed a paycheck, would you be able to make uh, ends meet, for instance? We should strive to be at that point where we could uh, continue to survive if we did miss uh, a paycheck. The usual advice is that you have about three to six months of your income in your savings account at any one time. I also think of Proverbs 6, uh, verses 6 through 8, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any, any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And while this passage primarily is rebuking laziness, it also is admonishing us to be like the ant in the sense that the ant stores or saves resources. How would we survive if we couldn't work for six months or something like that, or if an unexpected car repair comes up? There are all kinds of ways to do this today, uh, especially with all the technology out there. Ours is set up automatically, so on the first of the month, money goes from checkings to savings account. Uh, Because if we wait until the end of the month, it probably won't happen. And so the first thing I think that we ought to do, uh, biblically speaking, is we ought to be saving our money. Uh, Secondly, we'll talk about investing. Um, Again, I'm not going to give you a lot of the details and particulars about this. There are a number of ways to do it, and there are people who uh, are better qualified than I to speak on the details of it. But generally speaking, it is wise to invest regularly. And to invest conservatively, don't ri- be, don't be risky in the way that you in- invest. Uh, in fact, that actually is rebuked by Scripture in Proverbs twenty one five. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So here we're told that there's a difference between diligence and being hasty. Uh, I ought not be hasty in getting money. I not ought not buy into the get rich quick schemes of the world. On the other hand, if we invest conservatively and wisely, it can be a great blessing. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 2, for instance, says, Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. And of course, you recognize that what Solomon's talking about there is diversifying uh, your investments. We also have a parable by Jesus, for example, where he endorses this as well, Matthew 25, 27. Uh, in this parable, uh, you remember we read, uh, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Um, as far as the particulars, find someone you trust that can give advice uh, to these kinds of things. I recommend uh, you find a Christian investor who shares your worldview and values if if possible. Um, and, and that's actually another reason why that's good. It, not only will they invest um, the way that you're, uh, hopefully wanting to do that. 
Um, but they'll also avoid investing in things that perhaps may be um, morally questionable and uh, investing in companies that may not share your values, things like that, that may be helpful um, to uh, to do. A general brokerage, brokerage account would be good for large purchases like vehicles or college. A retirement account would be wise to have. So, um, But needless to say, uh, I think you can say that the Bible encourages us to uh, to, to consider uh, investing and uh, laying up for the future in a wise, uh, conservative manner. The third thing I want to talk about is minimal debt. Uh, probably the most well-known verse <clears throat> on debt is Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. I am not uh, anti-debt, but I do think that in most instances, it is unwise. We have a mortgage on our home. That's the only debt that we have. We don't have loans, credit cards, any of those kinds of things. Uh, a home is such uh, an insanely large purchase that there's almost nobody who can make that purchase outright. And I think that a responsible, diligent, calculated mortgage can be a blessing uh, to a family. Outside of that, uh, there are not many reasons why debt would be a good idea. It ends up doing, as Proverbs 22 says, enslaving a person rather than benefiting them. Uh, especially, you know, take into consideration is the loan for something that appreciates or depreciates in value. Uh, a vehicle, for instance, depreciates in value. Um, and so I would be leery of advising someone to get a loan on a vehicle. It's easy to get into a situation where you're upside down and you owe more than the car is worth and those kinds of things. Uh, again, I'm not anti-debt. I'm not saying uh, it's always wrong. I'm just saying be very cautious uh, this actually probably stems from another principle, and that is just to live light here on this earth, not to be consumed with so many things that we just have to have it all now. Um, it takes time to accumulate things. Sometimes, I think my generation, you know, we want to start where our parents finished off. So all of the stuff they had in their houses, all of the possessions they have, as soon as we uh, went out, got married, all those things, my generation wants to... Uh, wants to be start right there and then accumulate from there. And we, we don't realize sometimes that, you know, our parents started very small and we need to do the same thing uh, and just, just live light. Value heavenly treasure. Uh, ask yourself whether the debt is for a legitimate need. Can I get by on something cheaper? Next one I want to talk about here is co-signing. Uh, I'm going to give you a list of situations where you should co-sign. Here's the list. Never. The Bible talks about this in terms of hunter and prey, and the one who's the co-signer is the prey, Proverbs 6. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Uh, I would venture to say um, not, not only is co-signing dangerous because of the trouble you could get in, but I would say probably in most cases, uh, when you co-sign, you end up destroying a relationship. Um, there is relationship tension, especially when you do this with someone who is a close family member uh, or close friend, 
uh, it can cause a lot of tension and a lot of stress in a relationship. Proverbs 17, 18 says, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. So the Bible is pretty straightforward on this one. Don't do it. Uh, we're going to look at one more here and saving the best for last. There Again, there's a lot more that we could look at. Um, but uh, I want to look at the fact that we should be generous in our in our giving. Uh this is more than just giving to the church, though it is that. Um, and actually, let's take a look at that first. Giving to the church, we have 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper that there may be, um, so that there may be no collecting when I come. So putting this stuff aside, finances aside for the church. Um I will say that I do know of people who give their tithe to parachurch organizations. Um, and I think it's a good thing to give to parachurch organizations, but if that has replaced your giving to the local church, something is wrong. God is at work through the church, not the parachurch. I'm not saying parachurch organizations can't be helpful. I'm actually uh, at um, the Creation Museum right now at a conference um, and uh, attending that, enjoying the parachurch ministry of Antras in Genesis. Uh, I love it. I value it. But there's a difference between parachurch and church. Give to your local church and give generously. But we're also to give uh, to our neighbors. For instance, Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. To the rich, which, by the way, is us, Paul says this, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. All this giving doesn't leave much room for anything else, and to that I say yes. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we have given before, and I have given before, and sometimes I'm sitting there writing that check, and I think to myself, man, I could really use this somewhere else. Uh, and it hurts sometimes. We can all afford to eat out less. We can all afford to have less Starbucks to the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. Being a generous giver demonstrates practically what we saw last week, namely that our trust isn't in our riches, but it's in God. It also demonstrates that we can be satisfied with less and testify that Jesus is enough for us. We know these things. We know what's true. Sometimes the issue isn't that we have a lack of knowledge, but it's getting our knowledge and our actions to line up. And as C.S. Lewis once argued, desire is stronger than reason, and perhaps there is no place where that is more obvious than in the way we handle our money. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.